1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
2: All right, here's the deal. Never again. Never, ever, ever, ever again. Will I report a transfer of a soccer player on this show unless, unless this is the only way that I will report a transfer of a soccer player on this show. If I see that player on the pitch in the uniform of the team that he is going to, if I see him on the pitch in uniform between the lines, if I don't see that... I will not be reporting transfers of soccer players on this show. World Soccer Talk Radio is what you've got it locked into here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Nate Abrea. Thank you so much for subscribing to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher. Checking out the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter at World soccer Talk at Sports Byline USA. And tweet me, at Nate WST. The David De Gea disaster, or the fuster cluck as someone uh, so eloquently put it the the fuster cluck i very very much enjoyed that i don't know if, if florentino perez and the folks at real madrid are, are still using fax machines from 1993 or you know windows vista got in the way of of the final email with the paperwork we we reported this whole thing happening done deal yesterday and i felt like an absolute jackass hours later with the news that broke that it was not a done deal and the thing completely went up into flames. But you know what made me feel like slightly less of a jackass? Everybody else reported it. We had had one of the ultimate authorities, one of the ultimate reporters on soccer transfers on the show yesterday. We had the Gab Marcotti on the show, and Gab himself reported this thing as a done deal. I don't know who to believe. There's all sorts of news coming out. There's going to be lawsuits coming from Real Madrid. They're blaming Manchester United for for their role in this thing going up in flames. I don't know who to blame. I don't know who to believe. All I know is that never, ever, ever again will I be reporting a transfer of a soccer player on this show until I see that player in uniform. On the pitch, I don't care if he's on TV holding the jersey. All you Scottish listeners, remember Mo Johnston with the Celtic Rangers fiasco back in the eighties. Never again until he is on the pitch in uniform. We got a great treat for you, German fans. By the way, Raphael Honigstein is on the show with us. After this, stay tuned. We're talking about his new book, Das Reboot: How German Football Reinvented Itself and Conquered the World. Stay tuned.
0: See the world's best matches. Live, wherever you are, with Fox Soccer to go. Watch select live matches on your smartphone, on your tablet, and on your computer. Get the app.
3: Get the games. Fix
0: Live soccer and more. Anytime,
3: anywhere. Sign up to watch the Bundesliga and Champions League at SoccerOnDish.com. If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for. FreeSoccerTrial.com With NGSN, you get live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, Dot com, Cheers.
0: Protective insurance specialist is a referral service that connects you to a licensed agent. Availability, waiting periods, and limitations vary by state. Not major medical. Certain plans require association membership.
3: After
1: my husband passed away, we couldn't pay the mortgage, make car payments, or pay bills. Sometimes even having enough food was a problem. All of a sudden, our financial security, gone.
0: You've made plans for the future. College for the kids. Retirement. Have you thought of the unexpected curves life can throw at you? Ask yourself, what if... 800-473-0563
3: Sweet memories fill this place Can't wait to get a taste. Come on home
4: Labor Day is almost here and what better way to celebrate than with Eckrich Smoked Sausage on the grill. Come on home to the savory smokehouse taste of Eckrich Smoked Sausage. Bringing families together for over 120 years.
5: The love is waiting So come on home
4: Come on home to Rich.
2: Nate Aborea back here with you on World Soccer Talk Radio. Tweet me at Nate WST. Tell me that David de Gea is still going to Real Madrid. Tell me, please, please, tell me. Tweet us all at World Soccer Talk, and for updates on the show at Sports Byline USA. We've got a very, very special treat for all you fans of German soccer here in this edition of World Soccer Talk Radio. Raphael Honigstein is on the line with us to talk about his new book, Das Reboot, How German Football Reinvented Itself and Conquered the World. Raphael, how are you doing, sir? Thanks so much for coming I'm on. well. Thank you. How are you? I am doing great, so let's get right into this book. Tell us all about it and uh, how, the, how the idea originally came about for you.
6: Well, where do I start? Um, I guess the idea came to me when my agent called two days after the final in Brazil and said, um, how about writing this book? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, at which point I said, no, I don't want to write anything anymore. I've just had six weeks of crazy work in Brazil and leave me alone. But uh, he was quite persistent and the publishers were very keen. And uh, in the end, I felt it really should be done because... um, you feel that you've experienced yourself, you know, over the last 10 years or so, how Germany became from really from a place where they were a laughing stock, certainly as far as the national team were concerned, to, to a team winning the World Cup and, and being almost universally admired. And maybe it wasn't such a bad idea to, to write up their story.
2: Well, Raphael, one of the things that you you discuss within this book is the, the the tactical concepts of of modern German football, and you go back historically, you go back for decades when the perception and and. The honest perception, the rightful perception of German soccer as well as uh, Italian soccer. For years, Germany and Italy known as these defensive teams that are going to out-physical you. They'll beat you 1-0 and then, or, or maybe they'll, they'll nil-nil you and take you all the way to penalties and, and they'll beat you that way. It has been a complete 180 as far as the perception of what German football is and the type of play that we saw from the German national team in the 2014 World Cup, and even going back uh, to South Africa 2010. Talk about how that 180 has happened.
6: I think it's a combination of things at different levels happening um, over the space of uh, a decade or so. I think, first of all, you have to say that the players available now to the national coach, whoever it is, are uh, technically so well-developed, educated, that it would be ridiculous to play defensive football. You need to give these guys the ball. You need to have a system where they can dominate the game, where they can touch the ball as many times as possible, when they can try to, to bring their real strength onto the pitch and the strength is not physical anymore. Of course, they, they can all run. Uh, of course, they're quite strong. You'd expect it from any professional, certainly from German professionals, but now they've got an extra dimension and it would be a crime to play any differently. But even before they had all these players available, I think something was happening both at club level and then a little bit later under even Klinsmann at the international level with the national team, which is really a repositioning of the, of the idea of football and saying, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Let's not be conservative. Let's not try to destroy the opposition's game. Let's not wait until things happen. Let's not hope that we maybe get a lucky free kick or a shot from distance let's try to play football the way the best sides in Europe play, whether they're the national sides or whether they're the AC Milan's of the late 90s or maybe a little bit later, the Arsenal's. And these days, that's almost become the new orthodoxy. Certainly at club level, you see teams all going for it. Even teams playing against relegation will press all over the pitch, uh, will not sit back and... German football really has changed and it's, it's changed its, its direction, it's changed its pace, the whole culture has changed and while it's perhaps not a fairy tale because you know, Germany is a big country with lots of wealth and lots of people, it is still f- fairly remarkable how they've been ma- managed to turn it around uh, in a relatively short space of time uh, and in a fairly dramatic way.
2: Rafael, you talked about the new crop of players there and this new generation of German footballers, which leads me to believe that there was a massive switch at the youth level in terms of the type of coaching that we saw when, I mean, whether it was Goza or or a number of other young players out there that there was something that changed dramatically with how they were treated as very young, young players, as kids, the way they were taught the game of soccer in
6: Germany. Is that true? Well, I put the very same question to the German uh, FA head of development, and he said, actually, it's not true. There wasn't any difference in terms of uh, the curriculum, in terms of stuff that was being taught. The big difference is just the quality of the coaching and the numbers of of hours that these guys were able to spend with the ball at a very young age. You went from a point where you had maybe 100 coaches to having 400 youth coaches who do nothing else but coaching youngsters every single day of the the week and giving them a much more rounded and much more intense education. And it just happens to breed better. In the end, it sounds actually so logical that you think, you know, why didn't they think about it? A bit earlier, but it's really just putting a big number of very qualified coaches to the biggest possible number of talents, and you're going to end up with a crop of 50 60 really good players every single year. Um, it, it is logical, but it's something that Germany didn't do because they thought, you know, what's the point? We're big, we're Germany anywhere, we'll produce these players, we don't really have to spend so much time looking for them or educating them, they're going to come. And, uh, and be great anyway. So um, the first answer is no. But at the same time, I would say that the culture has changed. And what has changed is that, A, technically more, pl- more coaches are looking for-, for attacking type players. So the demand has changed. And also, it's different now in terms of experience. You know, experience used to be the main thing. Otto Rehagel, famous German coach who won it with Greece the Euros playing horrible football, said, don't trust anyone below 30. And (laughs) that was um, almost sort of official FA policy. In the 2004 uh, Euros, they had, I think, one player under 23. uh, And the Euro 2000 had one player under 27. So just young players weren't given responsibility. They were mistrusted. They were seen as inexperienced. And now it's different. And of course, if you have clubs who produce a lot of youngsters and also see that the first team give these young players an opportunity, then it breeds um, a much more permeable culture where you know as a youngster you have a really good chance of actually making it. And you don't get to the point where you lose whole generations because you will have Czech internationals or Brazilians or Slovakians uh, clogging up places who actually perhaps aren't that special but they're 26, 27, and they're internationals, and are therefore preferred by the uh, Bundesliga coaches. That's what used to happen at the turn of the century. Doesn't happen anymore. How big? How big is
2: that in terms of the? uh i'm trying to think of the right way to put this here but almost the the re-germanization of of the bundesliga of of the proud domestic top flight of really making it abundantly clear that germans playing week in week out in their own domestic league that camaraderie and that cohesion how much that can benefit the national side how big of a deal has that really been and we got about a minute and a half before we got to head to break here rafa
6: i think it's been a pretty big deal um Part of it has happened organically simply because the quality of players coming through is better. So you don't need to go out and then buy, shipping lots of mediocre foreigners, uh, like a lot of the Premier League clubs are forced to do because their, their own youngsters aren't quite good enough to make the grade. Um, and at the same time, the clubs have noticed that players and, and both fans also really appreciate that. They like their own players coming through They're, Everybody wants to have... Schweinsteigers and Lams and Alabas on their side. They don't necessarily want to go out and buy a new superstar every single year. Um, It's not very cost-effective either. So a lot of things have come together to the point now where you have more than, certainly more than um, 50%, sometimes even up to 60% of German players playing in the Bundesliga. And that gives any national manager just a bigger pool of players to choose from.
2: We are here with Raphael Honigstein on World talking about his new book Das Reboot how German football reinvented itself and conquered the world we'll continue this conversation and talk with Raphael about how some of these aspects of, of this revitalization and renaissance of German football how they perhaps could be applicable to the improvement of American soccer all that and more on the other side of this break World Soccer, Talk Radio right here Sports Byline Broadcasting Network stay tuned
0: The world's best matches live wherever you are with fox soccer to go watch select live matches on your smartphone on your tablet and on your computer get the app and get your fix live soccer and more anytime
3: anywhere sign up to watch the bundesliga and champions league at soccerondish.com. If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for. FreeSoccerTrial.com With NGSN, live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, as well as leagues from Bolivia, Venezuela, and more. The games are in HD, and commentaries are available in your choice of English or Spanish. And this is a completely new and legal way to watch soccer games in the U.S. Try it, and I think you'll be impressed. All you have to do is go to freesocccertrial.com and sign up today for your free 30-day trial to NGSN. Again, that's freesoccertrial.com. trial.com Cheers.
0: Come celebrate new Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline with a chance to upgrade your drive when you fill up at Shell. Introducing the 100 BMWs and 100-day sweepstakes. Swipe your Fuel Rewards card to enter to win a BMW 320i. Don't have a card? Get one free at participating Shell stations or visit fuelrewards.com. win Offer on September 8, 2015. No purchase necessary. See official rules at shell.us. win Void in Maryland, New Jersey, and Virginia where prohibited by law.
2: World Soccer Talk Radio back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Website worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter at world Soccer Talk at Sports Byline USA and tweet me, Nate Abareya at Nate WST. Raphael Honigstein is our guest in this edition of the show, talking all about Das Reboot, how German football reinvented itself and conquered the world. The new book from the aforementioned Raphael Honigstein. Now, when we went to tease something for our, our American audience, Raphael, because you talked so much in that last segment about the, change, the the slight changes maybe at the youth level, but what you really point to, which is uh, just growth in the quality of coaching and how much of that has helped the growth of youth players. And there were a couple other things within uh, some of the things that you said there that I was just thinking the whole time, God, these really seem to be very applicable to the growth of American soccer and some of the things that are lacking uh, here in the States. Do you see any any things within your book that could be applicable to the improvement of, of soccer in America and specifically at the youth level in this country?
6: Well, I must say I'm not an expert on, on North American uh, football I would say some of, the, some of the lessons that Germany have learned are, are fairly universal. Uh, and the most universal one is that you need to educate players as much as you can when they're really young, because afterwards it's far too late. Of course, you can mitigate stuff. You can try to make changes at the top, the way it's done in Germany, the way he's trying to do now for the US. But that is not going to give you systemic structural change and improvement. He will maybe squeeze a little bit more out of the team, out of his players, but he still will come up, in my view, against a natural barrier of of a lack of talent, uh, both in numbers and in, in quality. And, you know, this is a 10-year project for Germany. Looking, looking into the book, talking to, to people, I realized that their reform started in earnest in 1998. It took until 2010 before the first... Real fruits of that labour became visible when you had uh, the likes of Mesut Ozil and Sami Khedira breaking international national team. So it is a long-term project. It takes a lot of money. Bundesliga clubs have spent more, more than a billion euros uh, since 2000 in harnessing new talent. You know, that's a lot of money in 15 15- years. And I think you need to have that commitment that sometimes only comes when something special happens, even in a negative way and a positive. And Germany, again, were fortunate in that respect because their results in the two euros I mentioned earlier were seen as spectacularly negative, embarrassingly so. And at the same time, the positive was that they had won the right to stage the World Cup in 2006. In 2000, so everybody's minds were concentrated and very much focused on turning out a very good side and uh, a lot of reforms became possible because of that. Um, all these things are not necessarily replicable and you also can't turn back the, the clock. So I think there's general, general themes, general lessons that can be learned, but it's hard to tr- transpose what happens, what works in one country and take it to another with a completely different football context in history.
2: Well, I like that you point out that there are things within the, this German Renaissance and this German revival and reinvention that are not necessarily distinctly German. They're actually quite useful, and, and like you talked about earlier, you might think they would come with common sense. And uh, in, in some place, interesting that you point. You, you talk about Jürgen Klinsmann and, and the the systematic change that he is really trying to. Uh, spearhead and and hopefully accomplish here in America in terms of systematic change within American soccer. He was involved in the the bit of systematic change that you talk about in in Germany. He was not you know necessarily as uh, as uh, high high ranking of, a, of of a party as he is here with this U.S. Uh, systematic change. But he was the manager of the national team. He, he's a, a German hero. Uh, in, in so many ways as a player. How, what was Jürgen Klinsmann's role with his time with the German national team and even maybe going back a few years, his, his start as a coach, as a manager, what was his role in, in the the reinvention of, of German soccer, Raphael?
6: Well, I think he was a trailblazer. He was a figurehead, uh, somebody who literally came in from the warm, from California, um, with ideas that were very very different to what was happening in German football at the time he had an outsider's view an independence of thought and he said you know these are things are not working we need to change we need to flip the script we need to start again we need to understand that we're being left behind by other by other nations who are faster who are technically better who are better and who have better players and So a lot of those things he couldn't change himself. You know, he couldn't restructure the whole youth development system. He had to rely on the German FA and other people to do that for him. And, uh, of course, Joachim Löw is assistant. then afterwards, national manager was the true beneficiary of that process a little bit uh, further down the line. But what he did was really, I think, change the the debate, change the focus, change the relevance of certain things, and said, you know, forget about stuff that a lot of people talk about in the pub uh, with a beer in their hand. Uh, (laughs) Other things are much more important. And I think, again, this is perhaps a good lesson uh, that, uh, well, to learn is maybe too strong a word, but something to keep in mind when talking about football. Don't get sidetracked into debates about weakness of character or psychological barriers, or all these things that you know, we sit as pundits or fans in our sofas and find it very easy to psychologize into an, into a team, but focus on the the real stuff, the stuff that you can prove, the numbers. Look at how fast a guy can run. Look how good he is with the ball, and try to improve what you can really control, not some imaginary par- parameters that people talk about but cannot actually prove here. He, he neither here nor there, and I think that's what that's what he did. He made football a lot more scientific and a lot more professional uh, as a result. There was no psych- sports psychologist, there was no real performance analysis. there were uh, no cutting edge fitness methods, there was almost no tactical analysis of opponents. You know, as a German national team, he thought, you know, we're the German national team. We don't have to look at how Albania are playing. Well, what do we care? You know, do we care that Costa Rica are playing that kind of system, you know? And, and he said, no, you know, we have to treat every opponent um, as a challenge that needs to be overcome. And we have to adjust and we have to do all the things that today are totally common players. Uh, at any At any level, even at under fifteen levels in, 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 the, in the Bundesliga and German football you 'd have this kind of stuff. but before he came, nobody did it, almost nobody did it
2: well again, for all you American. Listeners out there, for all you fans of the U.S. men's national team, look at Jurgen Klinsmann's track record. And I've been someone who's been quite critical of a number of aspects of Jurgen Klinsmann's tenure with the U.S. men's national team. But as far as people that that criticize Jurgen and say, oh, he's trying to trying to reinvent the wheel, and he's just oh in over his head with all these ideas and these dramatic things that he's trying to change in the American soccer landscape, and he's never going to accomplish it. Look at Jürgen Klinsmann's track record in Germany and, and listen back to this interview here with Raphael Honigstein and read this book, Das Reboot, and see what Jürgen Klinsmann was trying to do in Germany and how influential he was in Germany with things that are very similar to what he's trying to accomplish here in the U.S. of A. Raphael, did you get a chance to, to talk to Jürgen Klinsmann uh, in the creation of this book?
6: Yes, uh, he was the, one of the first people who very generously uh, agreed to talk to me. I went to, to California, I met him in Huntington Beach, and we had a long chat, and it was almost uh, weird, you know, to, to look at the Pacific and then talk about German football of the late <laughs> 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and I, I caught myself almost apologizing to him about the subject. But then at that moment, I also realized that you needed you needed that completely different remote perspective on things to change things and he was severely criticized for not moving to Germany for staying in the US even though through those throughout those two crucial years when he was in charge Um, but I now understand why he did it because it it allowed him to drive through change without having the constant small-scale battles that you get when you're there you know when you're sitting in an office and then Somebody asks you about these minute details that really don't matter. He was able from half the world away uh, to decide on the big things. And then he had uh, some very intelligent, very able guys below him in Joachim Löw, who did most of the tactical details with the team in Oliwakou. He did some of the organizational stuff and the the rebranding, if you want, of the national team. And uh, the three of them have really changed German football forever.
2: Shout out to Oliver Bierhoff, by the way, one of my favorite players. Growing up, I still got my uh, my little tiny child size AC Milan Oliver Bierhoff jersey hanging hanging somewhere. I gotta find that thing. Raphael Honigstein is our guest here on World Soccer Talk Radio. And that was one of the most important segments that we've had on the show in quite a while. We're talking all about the the, the revitalization and this renaissance of German football. But again, Jurgen Klinsman's such an incredible character and how he was doing All of his work, much of his work, able to look at the big picture, not worry about micromanaging, he was doing it from Southern California. We all know about his his position now with the U.S. Men's National Team and with the United States Soccer Federation. Folks out there who are fans of the U.S. Men's National Team or the German National Team, look at the similarities here and look at what Jürgen Klinsmann did in Germany from american soil and think about what he might be able to accomplish here with the us of a if he is given the right amount of time and if there is the right investment of time resources and energy behind him that is a discussion that we could carry on for a million other shows we'll continue this talk about das reboot on the other side of this break world soccer talk radio stay tuned
0: Last Friday, Allison Cohn made her status FBF to a pic
2: of me as a pipsqueak. Awkward. It got 59 likes and 12 comments. Impressive, Allie. Geico also has a comment on your flashback Friday. Did you know Geico has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years? Bet you didn't even know they made cars back then. And if you think your flashback is awkward, you should see our pic. Hashtag blurry over 75 years of savings.
0: Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on
4: car insurance.
5: Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting because at DraftKings.com, you
7: could start the season by winning a piece of $10 million. And for the first time, DraftKings will crown two millionaires in one day. DraftKings is America's favorite one week fantasy football site. One week fantasy means no season long commitments. It's like a brand new season every time you play. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your winnings. Don't wait until the end of the season to get paid. You've already been scouting players for your season long fantasy team, put that knowledge to the test in week one and every week this football season at DraftKings.com. You could turn your love of football into a life-changing payday. Start by winning your share of $10 million. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Get to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code Bonsanto to play free for your shot at the $2 million top prize in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. That's Bonsanto for free entry at DraftKings.com.
0: The two-for-five-dollar deal at Burger King just got hotter. That's right. We just spiced it up with the new extra-long jalapeno cheeseburger. Feel the flame with two all-beef patties side-by-side side stacked with fiery jalapenos. They're like little green firecrackers exploding in your mouth. Oh, yeah. Did we mention you can get two sandwiches at Burger King for just 5 bucks? But if that's too much fire for one mouth, you can mix and match with the Big King, Big Fish, or Original Chicken Sandwich only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price participation may vary. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
2: World Soccer Talk Radio, back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Nate Albarea is my name. I am joined by Raphael Honigstein, talking all about Das Reboot, how German football reinvented itself and conquered the world. And before we let Raphael go, we'll let you know how you can get a hold of his new book. We, we've we talked a little bit in this show, Rafa, about the Bundesliga and we talk all about this this renaissance this revival of German soccer on the national team level and so much of it has been influenced by the revival of the Bundesliga and and what sides whether it's Bayern Munich whether it's Borussia Dortmund whether it's even a number of other teams who have had reasonable success in in European competition and and the levels that they're propelling themselves to there's been an incredible revival of the Bundesliga and, and it's done, it's paid dividends uh, as far as the, the national side goes. How is it different for you? The, the revival of the top flight domestic league and the revival of the national team. We talked about how they relate to one another, but what have been some of the main, the main differences where, where they don't go together, where they are apples and oranges in terms of improving the product and improving the big picture.
6: Um, I think they do go together. I think they do go together because you could see that before this generation of players won a big European or an international trophy at club level or at uh, international level, there was always the suspicion, well, you know, they're a great team, but they're chokers, they don't quite deliver when it comes to it. They're lacking backbone, they don't quite have the mentality of the old guys, of the big guys of the 80s and 90s. Once Bayern Munich, um, with with a team containing six Germans, won the Champions League in 2013, I think that then helped them make that last step as well a year later uh, when those six players again were on the pitch at the Maracanã against Argentina. They had been in so many big games, had lost a few of them, but had also crucially won one of them. And they knew what to do, and they had that bit of extra experience. I think that pushed them just a little bit over the line. And of course, that that glory of the World Cup reflects very well of the Bundesliga. I think it's great that now for the third time in a row, teams in the Champions League group stage. Um, you know, people see Lazio being battered by Leverkusen and think, "Well, that's almost normal." But ten years ago, the idea that Lazio, you know, one of the big Italian teams, big spenders, would would uh, be completely outclassed by Leverkusen would have been fairly ridiculous. And, and now it's, it's almost uh, seen as a given, even though they don't operate on any big financial scale, but they're just very smart when it comes to buying players, very smart when it comes to developing their own players. And it's just little things like that. You can tell that the overall quality and the output of German football at all levels... Has just increased, and of course it, it makes our job more fun as journalists because while it 's fun in a way and quite dramatic to to write about disasters and sporting disasters and and the team being terrible uh, it 's much more enjoyable actually going to see them win trophies and you know live even remotely uh, be part of that uh, through the guys that you spend a lot of time with and talk to and I can only say that um, I was very nervous during the final in Brazil because I didn't, didn't care so much about Germany as a country, you know, in an abstract sense, won this game or not, but I really would have felt for these guys if they'd lost that game um, because that was their game. You know, that was Schweinsteiger and Lams' game. They'll never be in another World Cup final again, and I really wanted them, for their own sake, to, to have that crowning moment in their careers. Now, Rafa, let's talk a little bit more about those other teams in
2: in the Bundesliga. And and it's I love how you point out the six players. I mean, that was such a huge story in the World Cup and those two years of 2013 and 2014, and how you know people said hey, it was you know half of Bayern Munich won the World Cup uh, for for Germany on the field. And you talk about the great you know Bavarian legends in in Schweinsteiger and and Philipp Lahm, and you yourself as a as a proud Bayern Munich supporter. You know all about the uh, the proud history of that club within the Bundesliga. But you bring up names like Leverkusen. You bring up Bayer Leverkusen and and I look at a team like Wolfsburg, who a lot of people look at as kind of the, the, the sexy pick this year, the the upset special this year to pull off some some real real good stuff and finish high in the table and maybe even compete uh for, for the top spot in the Bundesliga this year and, and a couple of other teams that people really have their eyes on. Talk about the revivals of those teams, of of the likes of of Bayer Leverkusen, of Wolfsburg and other teams just kind of circling around right there. How have they risen back up to levels of
6: prominence? Well, I think it's very hard to generalize because these are individual case studies, um, different reasons for for success. Um, But I think the bottom line is it's just being smart with their resources. I mean, I think a great name to mention here is is Borussia Mönchengladbach.
2: Oh, yes. Back in
6: the Champions League, back at the European Cup level for the first time in 37 years, you know, one of the iconic names of German football in the the mid-70s the best teams in Europe and uh, they were gone for a long, long time because uh, they're based in a very small city, they don't have any wealthy backers and left it on the vices. they just didn't get anywhere but just through sheer organic growth and making the right decisions and hiring the right manager and Lucien Favre and just in buying the right players like Marco Reus and then selling them again at the right time, they've come to the point where they finished third in the Bundesliga and here they are uh, back in the Champions League now, I don't go far but just the idea that you can actually do it without having uh, a sheikh from Abu Dhabi buying your club, or without a Russian uh, <laughs> oligarch pumping billions and pounds into it. You know, that's something that um, fills German football with pride and reflects very well on it, the, the, the ability to be self-sustainable in your success. Uh, Leverkusen a slightly different case. You know, they have support from their parent company. The same goes for, for Wolfsburg, but on a European context, in a national context, we're still talking uh, fairly small sums. And, of course, Bayern are the ultimate uh, Ari Wies because they were a team not deemed big enough to be uh, appointed to the Bundesliga when it was started 53 years ago. Uh, And then they've had their revenge on the rest of German football ever since by by winning everything. (laughs) And uh, and doing so, uh, again, without any significant outside investment still owned by the, by the fans, effectively still controlled by the fans, you know, if you don't like the president there, you can vote him out um, that's something that is astonishing to, to fans of, of clubs or some of the Italian clubs so, there is a lot that's going right, but at the same time I think German football is great and that's something I noticed uh, when I talk to some of the people, that they're great at saying, you know what, We're, it's still not quite good enough, we could be doing better Every single person I spoke to, from the Mainz youth development guy to the German FA guy to people within the club said, yeah, we're doing okay, but actually we're only at the start we could be doing a lot better. And I think it's that kind of perfectionism and that attitude uh, that really helps helps us right now because it'd be quite easy to say, you know, we're World Cup winners, that's it, we're done. That's what we did in 1990. That's why we fell so far behind in the space of 10 years. I don't think it'll happen this time. Rafa, you
2: are a, a, a German based in London, and so I, I have to ask you uh, about something that you touched on there uh, a couple of minutes ago regarding a Sheik a or a Russian oil tycoon coming in to buy a club and do do its own level of takeover. Um, people around the, the Premier League circles, uh, they, they've talked about the Premier League losing its Englishness over the last few years, losing its Britishness, its authentic British charm, uh, based on on massive influx of foreign dollars. Nasa uh, is actually trying to really network itself globally, and the American TV deal is a huge thing uh, here in the states. With the Bundesliga being back prominently uh, on on American television, uh, week in week out, with Fox but you, you touch on those two examples i mean that jump out to me is manchester city and, and chelsea as far as a, a sheik or a, a russian oil tycoon buying a club what lessons can be taught to the world today that some of those german clubs that you cite those examples that you cite the way they've done it what lessons can be taught to the footballing world and maybe even some folks in england
6: I mean, I think as a German, you have to be always very careful if you want to start uh, teaching lessons to the rest of the, rest of the world, uh, especially when it comes to, to football. But I think what it does show is that if you have the willpower to to forsake quick success, immediate success, kind of throwaway type of excess, success, and want to invest time and resources into organic growth. It can be done. The, the problem is the international competition because, you know, all over the world, people don't necessarily tune in to see the organically grown Gladbach take on the right. Maman Club Mainz 5. Um, they'd rather see the superstars of Man City batting there against Man United. It's Abu Dhabi against the USA. <laughs> Nobody really cares uh, that there's no, not a single English person on the bench um, or, or indeed on the pitch. So as an entertainment product, I think some of the things that work for Germany and for German football then are a bit of a hindrance and a disadvantage when it comes to international marketing. Uh, that's something, that's a cycle, that, a circle that needs to be squared at some point. And there is a constant debate about Germany where people say, you know, do we need to sell out more? Do we need to invite more investors in? Do we need to start playing on Monday nights? Do, you know, do we need to stage games abroad? What can we do to grow uh, without losing uh, what we do very well, which is to look after the fans and to look after our own indigenous um, football um, when it comes to the players and the coaches, I, I should add as well. So it's a, it's a balance that needs to be struck. I don't think that uh, the way... German football is organized again can be transposed to anywhere else. Uh, the UK and the Premier League is so far removed from that model and it's very successful for it that it'd be almost impossible to even envisage a club saying, you know what, let's get rid of this guy and the millions in and we're just going to run ourselves as a normal club. Arsenal are one of the very few examples, but Arsenal fans themselves would probably rather have a free spending oligarchy at the head of their, their club than the the stingy uh, Arsene Wenger doesn't uh, invest any money in transfer windows. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's very hard to say, you know what, you should all do what we do. Um, I think it's right for us. I think it's right for German football and it works well in terms of reconciling the very different aims of the club and of the international team. I think that's what German football does quite well and uh, I hope it'll continue to do so. How many times on the show, how
2: many times on the show have I said Be careful about painting with broad strokes there you have it echoing that sentiment right here Raphael Honigstein what might not work for for England or for another league but there are universal things to be able to take away from this discussion and from this book that Raphael has just come out with there are universal concepts that can be applicable universally whether you're in Germany England Costa Rica America or Japan or or anywhere in between And, and those those are the ones that we definitely need to examine further and see how they can help us wherever you may be listening whatever your footballing nation may be let's look at these universal concepts within what the Bundesliga and what the German Federation have done over these last few years, Raphael. It has been a great pleasure, great fun having you on the show. Look forward to having you on again sometime. Before we let you go, please, please let the good listeners of World Soccer Talk Radio know. Hold of the book Das Reboot: How German Football Rats
6: and Conquered the World. Well, the book is in, is out in the UK this week on the first of September. It'll be out in the States on the sixth of October. So we might have to wait a little bit longer, but uh, you can order it in from the UK or wait indeed for your own version to come out a little bit later.
2: And you can listen to the podcast version of this show and just replay it over and over and over and get yourself really pumped up for that October release date uh, here in the States of this new book. And uh, Raphael, by the way, before I let you go, one of my favorite clips of, of your work it was actually when you are in the uh, the BT Sports studio and you coming in uh, with the World Cup trophy and uh, you're in the first show after Brazil. That was one of the, the shining moments in, uh, in football broadcasting over the last few years. I just want to say congratulations to the World Cup. But you getting to carry it into the studio, that was spectacular.
6: Yeah, thank you. It would have been even more spectacular if it had been the real one. But uh, I take your point. Thank I didn't you.
2: know. I didn't know you could have had me fooled forever. Oh, well. <laughs> Raphael Honigstein, cheers, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Raphael Honigstein. Check out the new book, Das Reboot, How German Football Reinvented Itself and Conquered the World, Taking the Express Train Home on the other side of this break. World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports By Line, Broadcasting Network.
8: Attention catheter users. Stop reusing dirty catheters
1: Today, more than ever, Americans need a means to protect their life savings. With a troubled economy and government spending out of control, they've been forced to promote loose money policies, which decreases the value of the dollar and promotes inflation. Birch Gold Group can help you protect your savings by rolling over all or a portion of your IRA or 401K into an IRA backed by physical gold. Take advantage of the best gold prices in years and enjoy the long-term hedge against inflation that gold provides by moving into a gold IRA from Birch Gold. Group, The Precious Metal IRA Specialists. Call Birch Gold Group today for a free consultation on how a tax-free rollover to a gold IRA can offer stability, protection, and the peace of mind that your life savings, which you've worked so hard to build, is safe. Call 888-221-0010 and receive Birch Gold's free information kit, which offers the best-kept secrets for safeguarding your savings with gold. Call 888-221-0010. That's 888-221-0010.
2: World Soccer Talk Radio back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Another big thank you to Raphael Honigstein for joining us. Check out his new book, Das Reboot, how German football reinvented itself and conquered the world. Oh, yeah, those reigning World Cup champions from Deutschland. And we talked all about the renaissance and revival of the Bundesliga. Now, that has paid dividends for the German national team. Now, during the past few weeks here on the show, we have featured interviews with several people regarding the topic of grassroots soccer in the U.S., lower division soccer here in the U.S. Well, this Saturday, our good friends Cardick and Ken will be heading to St. Petersburg, Florida to call the Tampa Bay Rowdies and New York Cosmos game live from inside the stadium on Rabble.tv. That's right, live in stadium, Rabblecast. You gotta love it. So whether you're a fan of the Rowdies or the Cosmos or you're a fan of grassroots proper soccer here in this country, this is a must-listen opportunity to hear what Second Division U.S. soccer is like. The debate of calling the Cosmos grassroots. I know that opens up a few tricky doors there. But moving on, you'll get to hear Cardigan Ken announcing the game in the crowd among all of the rowdy fans. Listen to Saturday on TV, 7.15 p.m. Eastern time. The... ESPN3.com broadcast. Go to that one, press the mute button, then head over to Rabble to listen to Cardic and Ken sharing their analysis. Cardic and Ken on Rabble this Saturday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern time on Rabble.tv where it's your team and your call for the gaffer, Christopher Harris, the producer Domi Menes. Minutes. My name is Nate Abrea. Cheers. Bye for now.